Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Today we would be looking at uh, verses uh, 5 and 6. So those two Beatitudes. We looked at the first two last week and, and we're going to look at these next ones today. Uh, when I was th- uh, reading up on this a bit and thinking about it, um, one of the questions that I was sort of came to mind was, um, you know how like if you've ever woken up in one of those situations where life's been going along and then you ask yourself like how on earth did I get here? Like maybe, um, and these are both personal examples, I promise, um, maybe you've looked at the clock and realised that for the last month you've eaten dinner at the office and you thought you were going to get home at seven, but actually that's not the habit that has started. Uh, or you've woken up after a big night feeling gross and wished that you'd made different choices because here is a pattern that you never intended to be. Which is maybe like another way of asking the question, um, are there areas in life where we realise that there's like a pattern of behaviour that is emerging that you wouldn't have chosen, but you've kind of ended up there anyway? Which I think is the age-old um, like metaphor, you know the one where that you've got a ship and the ship is, has a compass and if the compass is one degree out because it like compounds, it doesn't actually take that long before you're not arriving at port, but heading off to Antarctica or out to sea. And so last week we were talking about what the best life looks like, what life with Jesus looks like, and, and asking ourselves, like, what is the version of the good life? And having a bit of an introspective moment of, does my idea of what good living looks like, my best life, is that at all similar to God's vision for that? Because like with the ship and the compass, what we think is good, what we think is true and beautiful, what we think about um, what the meaning of life is, how our behaviours, what we think is the ultimate place of joy or flourishing, that really matters because that's the compass and it will form a pattern of behaviour, it will form life and we will gravitate towards that. And so today we're going to be looking at living our best life is living with life with Jesus. But it's also taking on his priorities it's, and his like, future focus, the vision, that the hope that God has given us for what our world will look like, and that it's keeping that in mind that's going to keep us headed in the right direction. Or put another way, using more bi- uh, biblical language, like living your best life is living life with Jesus, displaying the glory of God in how we live. 
So last week I was sharing that um, I think the Sermon on the Mount, and which is the part of the bigger passage that this little part um, that we read today is part of, is Jesus' answer to the question, uh, what does the good life look like? What does flourishing as a person in the context that God has put me, well, what does that look like? But not just me personally, but like more generally for humanity. What does the good life look like? Um, St. Augustine, who uh, lived in the early 400s, the little quote that's attributed to him is this. It is the decided opinion of all who use their brains that all people desire to be happy. And he goes on to ask, like, who are the happy ones? And how do we become happy? And it looked different in many ways in the 400s to what it does now. But it's a controversial topic because everything from education to current day philosophy uh, to how, you know, how elections are won, what happens in classrooms, positive psychology, gym memberships, all of these are asking the same question, like, how can I be happy? How can I live the best life? And yet, I suspect, if you're like me, you feel that they're pulling in different directions. Even the $10 billion um, self-help book industry gives us some kind of idea that, like, lots of people want to be happy, lots of people are asking this question, and yet perhaps flourishing is a bit harder to obtain. And that living the good life, wanting to flourish, wanting a life that kind of makes sense in the space that God has you, um, wanting to have a sense of purpose and fullness and um, living in a way that kind of makes you feel alive, well, A, it's not a new question, but also I just don't think it's a silly or superficial question either. Um, Jesus' friends and his followers are asking it. I think Jesus, being the best philosopher that ever lived and speaking with authority as God, well, he showed us what the good life looked like. I think he affirms this question and this desire. And he's showing us not just what flourishing and happiness and joy looks like in our context, but what it looks like from God's vision, from God's point of view. And in the context, not just the small context of like, Melbourne in January, or not even the context of like being you in, across your life, but in the context of a forward-looking faith in God eventually putting the world back to right. So this idea of like God's design and God's for human flourishing, I wonder if some of you might have the following questions or responses, like the cynical response, where maybe in your brain you're like, but Emma, human flourishing is just like not the story of the Bible. Like that is so human-centric. The Bible is a story about who God is and what he is like. Maybe you have the excited response, which is like, see, I told you Christianity was about my flourishing. Maybe you have the like experiential response where you're like, that is a nice idea, but that's not been my story. Now, I'm going to own my millennial blinkers. I want to be happy and live a joyful life. In fact, on a totally non-related topic. Has anyone seen the new ad, lamb ad for 2024? Richard, yeah, it's great, hey? Yeah, anyway, Google it, watch it. It will make you feel like joy and deep discomfort at the same time, as all good advertising should. But whether you are a rock climber, like I am in the ad, uh, or not, God has our flourishing in mind. And 
I think, as we were talking a bit last week, it's a bit about dependent upon our definition of flourishing, how we understand flourishing. But what I want to look at this week is that it also needs us to have a biblical vision of like the ultimate goal of flourishing. God is not inviting you to flourish for flourishing's sake. He's not inviting us to be happy for happiness' sake. Because those things are very, like, as the um, cynical response person said, they are very human-centric. But also, they're just entirely framed within the here and now, or like the material world. And God isn't inviting us to have like a, full, a sense of fullness, or to, um, just so that we can feel like authentic and grounded all the time. The good life is life with Jesus, with the ultimate goal being a life lived for the glory of God. And so therefore, this is not flourishing as we might want it to be. Jesus, what Jesus is offering, I think, is a bit of a shock, especially to my millennial ears. Jesus' vision of the good life, his vision of happiness is one that entails suffering, poverty, mourning, humility, and a refusal to be distracted by the little superficial shiny things that might come our way. Jesus is asking you to imagine something, imagine human flourishing beyond those things, beyond positive emotions, beyond finding meaning in your work, beyond having healthy relationships, beyond having, I don't know, an activity that you participate in where you are able to experience flow. Jesus is asking you to imagine a vision of flourishing that includes suffering, that includes Jesus, like our definition, our understanding of flourishing has to include something where Jesus can go to the cross. That has to be part of what our vision of the good life looks like. And Jesus is asking you not to imagine a life, therefore, that is about um, working on your own purposes or pursuing what you think will bring you the most pleasure. This is a vision of flourishing that brings glory to God so that when people look at your life, they see something of who God is and what he is like. When people look at your life, they see that you love God and that you serve him because you love others and you live an other person-centered life. This is what Jesus is telling us flourishing looks like. So please do be skeptical. Please be skeptical if someone tells you that to be a Christian means like aiming for your own personal gratification and flourishing. But please don't be skeptical of Jesus saying that flourishing is possible because it is just possible with him. And so it's this Jesus, the Jesus who experienced suffering, who went to the cross, but Hebrews tells us it was for the joy set before him, like he, he experienced suffering and he experienced joy. It's this Jesus who is God that says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So we're going to look at these two verses today and start with the first one, blessed are the meek. So we touched on this a little bit last week, but just a reminder, um, blessed is not this like divine gift as much as it is Jesus' statement about the reality of life, what being human is all about in God's design, in God's story. So you could say that flourishing are the meek because they will inherit the earth. I also don't think that meek is a word that we use heaps in terms of our vocabulary. Um, and so I was looking at the, like the semantic scope of what um, the Greek word was looking at, um, sounding, and it has things like humble and gentle, even uses the word tender. 
So I wonder if it's more useful for us in our context to say something like flourishing of the humble because they will inherit the world. And meek and humble, uh, you'll probably know this, but they're not actually the way that you describe someone who's just like a little bit pathetic because this is how Jesus described himself. Uh, Later on in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus says, For I am gentle, I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is described as being someone who is gentle, someone who is humble, someone who is meek. Jesus is meek, and if you need a fun rhyming way to remember it, meekness is not weakness. There is strength in his gentleness. And actually, Jesus is our template of what life looks like, of what the flourishing life looks like. Meekness and humility and gentleness, he tells us and he shows us, are markers of what true humanity is and can look like. Not being pushy or arrogant, just a little bit rude or abrasive. No, Jesus says, Jesus shows that it's humble and gentle. Now, humility might be natural for Jesus. It is not natural for us. It is not, well, at least it's not in mine. I know some of you more than others. It's not natural in yours either. It's just a little honest moment, right? My fear, my fear comes of being taken advantage of If I'm a little bit too humble, will I be walked over? And so that's that's the thing that inside me rears its ugly head. I don't know what yours is. But as with all of the Beatitudes, these are not natural things that if you just kind of um, try really hard, we're able to embody. There's no natural explanation, which means that if we are to be meek, if we are to be humble people, then something extraordinary has to take place. The Holy Spirit has to be transforming us. So there is wonderful news for the meek. There is wonderful news for the humble. You are going to inherit the earth. And here the word earth, sometimes we think earth, world, and we think culture out there. That's not actually what Jesus is talking about here. The word that is used at the end of the sentence is the one that sort of is referencing land, particularly land in the Old Testament. So rather than in your brain thinking the meek will inherit a plot of land, think the the humble will inherit God's promises. It's a posture of, of wonderful news for the humble because we know that even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment, God will come through and come through on his promises. So you could say then like the opposite of meekness is being someone who pulls the strings in order to make what God has already promised you happen, to achieve that on your own. So if it's not about pulling strings, meekness, humility, is actually about trust. Humility with Jesus says, God, it's not your will, not my will, but yours to be done. Meekness knows that God sits on the throne, the throne of the whole cosmos, and he is a good God. And it says that we can trust him to look after our deepest needs without us needing to like pull the strings and have a plan B. So my question for you this morning is, 
what has God promised you? What are you expecting to God to come through on for you? And can you honestly say that that's found in the Bible? Or are there things that you've placed at God's feet and are expecting him to fill? You will be deeply, deeply disappointed if he doesn't, and yet he never actually said he would in the first place. If meekness is unnatural, then so is humility and trust, like we're not good at it. Flourishing in humility is something that only the Holy Spirit can do in our lives. When we look at and when we focus on, when we meditate on like the character of God, who he is, who he has said he is, on the promises that actually occur in the Bible, when we focus in and meditate on his love for us, I think meekness comes. The Holy Spirit transforms us. So living your best life with Jesus is living your best life with Jesus to the glory of God, looking at God, looking at his character and his promises and inviting and trusting that the Holy Spirit will change us. Having a true and praying for a true, like deep soul sense that God will fulfill his promises and that he is good and he is good for you. The second one that we're looking at today is uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And the statement that Jesus is making here is that uh, living our best life happens like when we love God and God's vision for the world. I guess like not ourselves and our vision for the world. And that we do that with like our whole being. We do it with our heart, with our soul, with our mind and with our strength. Flourishing and flourishing with Jesus looks like checking our will and our vision for goodness in order to walk in step with Jesus. And the picture Jesus is painting and I guess inviting us to step into here is not a set of propositional beliefs. It's not just things that we think. This is not a theory of knowledge. It's not something abstract. Um, it's, yeah, it's not some random abstract philosophy of the world that we just have to get our head around. Being a Christian is a way of life. And it's a way of living with Jesus. Here, Jesus is saying how we live really matters. The behaviours that we engage in, where our imagination goes, the things we crave, the goals we set, all of these things really matter. And partly why they really matter and why God really cares about them is these are the things and our behaviours and our hopes, like they have a formational impact on us. It will impact who you become. I love that um, Jesus uses the image of like hunger and thirst. I find that just concrete and really uh, helpful to kind of grasp. And um, partly because I was hiking a few years ago and we got lost. And now I blame the, little, the lack of little arrows. We were very diligent and they just stopped appearing where we thought they should. Anyway, we knew where we wanted to go. Like we'd camped at the base of the mountain and thought we were walking up and around. So we sort of knew where we were going. But I wasn't willing, slash the vegetation didn't really allow for us to go like this. We're kind of going to have to go around like this. And so it was hot. I'm a sweaty person at the best of times, and I was getting dehydrated, and I had run out of water. Well, was running out. I was eking it out at the end. And so by the time we were kind of getting around and the campsite was in, um, was in view, albeit far over there, I wasn't walking towards a tent, I wasn't walking towards a car, wasn't even walking, I can't, it's glamping, let's be honest, I wasn't even walking towards the esky, I was walking towards water, 
I was walking towards the tap that I knew was next to this toilet block and I had an empty drink bottle in my bag and I knew exactly what I was going to be doing. And so we get to the campsite and the woman that I've been walking with, who maybe drunk less water, took more, I don't know, she sat down, took her boots off, took her pack off, relaxed. I walked the extra 200 metres to the tap with my pack on, my boots on, and I just filled up the drink bottle and I drank. I was so thirsty. And I was satisfied. I think what we're hungry for, what we're thirsty for, is like that ship compass. It actually directs the, the direction that we're heading in. When we're... What, yeah, where we are hungry, I guess, is the path that we will follow. So if you're hungry for comfort, like, that's where you're going to head. If you are hungry for influence, that's the path you're going to walk on. If you are hungry for simplicity, you will delete all of your unread emails and unsync your calendar. If you're hungry for busyness, you'll do the absolute opposite. You will look at your week, like, look at your week on Sunday, just to check that every 15 minutes is scheduled. If you're hungry for entertainment, you'll have a subscription to all of the streaming devices. But Jesus isn't talking about those things. What is it that he's suggesting, and, um, and as God putting to us, that we should be hungering and thirsting for? Well, Jesus says it's righteousness. And righteousness here, it's a behaviour. It's a lifestyle. It's a conformity to God's vision for his world, for you and your life. It's a conformity in your behaviour to his teaching. So living your best life with Jesus, for us this means we need to conform our behaviours to what Jesus says, our imagination. We need to conform our hopes and our goals and the stories that we tell ourselves. We need to conform all of these things to God's teaching, to his vision of flourishing and not just like skip over the bits of the Bible that we don't like as much. Jesus says the good life is being hungry for righteousness. It's being hungry to follow Jesus. It's walking into the campsite looking for Jesus. It's seeing the world that, the way that he sees it. It's loving your neighbour as yourself. It's exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. The flourishing life is life with Jesus and it's living in step with his vision, living to his glory and not your own. And just like humility and meekness and all the other things, this is not natural. We cannot get our compass bearing right on our own. I actually think Jesus, the thing from the passage from Matthew 11, I, uh, which I read out earlier, I think, well, I wonder if this is actually what we need to hear from Jesus this morning. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, like, take my yoke upon you, like stick your head up into the yoke, for I am weary, for, sorry, um, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and in this yoke you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Being a Christian isn't like having a compass and trying to work out which way is Jesus, which way is true north, and then like walking in that direction. It's not like open water swimming, for those who have tried that. If you normally swim in a pool, you follow a line on the bottom of the pool 
and if you kind of veer off course, you hit a plastic thing, which hurts, but tells you that you've gone in the wrong space. Because in the ocean, you're swimming along, you actually have to pop your head up every couple of strokes just to check that like there's a point on the horizon or something that you're swimming towards. Because if you don't, you will just swim off to the side. If you're doing that in a triathlon, people will run into you and it hurts. It's not nearly as efficient as swimming in a pool because you don't have the bottom of the line, the line on the bottom to focus on. And I don't think here in Matthew, Jesus is saying, I am the point on the horizon and you have to keep stopping to check that you're swimming in the right direction. Jesus is saying he is already going in the right direction. All you have to do is like step into the yoke, have it so it's across both of your shoulders, match your pace with him, let him guide you. It won't feel natural. There'll be moments where Jesus is walking in a particular direction and it is not in the direction that you would like. But you might have noticed in the verse he says, come and learn from me. And this is what flourishing looks like. So how we live really does matter. Living your best life and living with Jesus and displaying the glory of God, that's the good life. And what we think is of most importance is where we will gravitate. But there is something better in taking on Jesus' priorities and values, his eternal focus, the way the world will turn out. And this is God's gift to us, to live the good life. And so I just want to encourage us this morning, let's be people who model ourselves on Jesus' humility and gentleness to be people who pray in line with the promises that God actually has in the Bible, not just the ones we wish were true. Let's let go of the promises that God didn't make to us. And let's be people who hunger and thirst after a relationship with God, people who live with a focus on justice and mercy. And let's be people who step into the yoke that Jesus is offering it is light, he tells us. It is true, it is good, it is beautiful. And this is where you will find rest for your souls. Let me pray. Our dear God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we come to you this morning, we come weary. We come knowing that we cannot be meek and humble and gentle on our own that we cannot thirst for righteousness, we cannot hunger after you alone. But God, we are trusting that your Holy Spirit will do this work in us this morning. And Jesus, as we look to you and we see your suffering and we see your joy and these two things sitting paradoxically next to each other, would you open our imagination to see that this is what the good life looks like? And would you help us this morning to yet again, for some, for maybe the first time for others, step into your yoke and walk life in step with Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen.